0: Welcome to the My Essential Birth Podcast. I'm Courtney. And I'm Stephanie. And we're professional doulas, childbirth educators, and the creators of My Essential Birth, the holistic, empowering, online childbirth education course helping mothers everywhere confidently achieve their best birth. So join us each week as we share tips and advice for all things pregnancy, birth, and beyond.
1: Be sure to subscribe to the podcast so that you can be the first to get new content. And head over to www.myessentialbirth.com for more information about our birth course and to join a community of mamas just like you.
0: Okay, let's get it started this week with the reviewer of the week. This is from reviewer Kay Lynn, and she says, Life-changing. I started listening to this podcast eight months ago before I was ever pregnant. For years, I said that giving birth was the thing I was most scared of, and I did not want to have my own child through birth. <laughs> Is that like, uh, I planned on adoption. Uh, when I was first listening to this podcast, the Lord used it to change my perspective and my heart. I learned that my body was made to carry a child and to give birth and with the Lord's help, I would be able to do it. I am now 10 weeks pregnant and I am so thankful for this podcast for giving me courage and confidence. I am excited to continue to learn and to go into this delivery excited and confident in October. Thank you, Courtney and Stephanie.
1: That is yay. So
0: powerful.
1: Congratulations on your pregnancy and for working through so much of that fear that a lot of women do carry with them into birth. And it can influence your. Your experience, But we're glad that that's not the case for you, that the Lord worked on your heart, and we're grateful to be a part of that journey for you.
0: And I love that you're including the spiritual side of things with this too. I think this is probably a topic that we have for a podcast coming, but there is a spiritual nature to what we do within motherhood. And so when we involve that spiritual side of things, I think we see beautiful blessings, and this is a great example of that.
1: Definitely. You guys, what we're about to talk about is a super important topic. And I know Stephanie knows the answer to this question, but maybe some of you don't. If you had to guess the number one reason for unplanned cesarean births and first time moms, what would it be? Um, okay, there's two, right?
0: Yeah. So failure to progress and cephalopelvic disproportion. Okay. Say that three times fast. That's, I was going to say that <laughs>
1: one's a mouthful. Let's talk about the first one so we don't right. have to say that yeah. second one. Yeah. We're going to talk about failure to progress and um, a lot of you may be wondering what is it? Maybe you know, maybe you don't, but let's just sum it up real quick. It's basically when your provider has determined that your body isn't dilating or progressing fast enough according to their preference and um, this diagnosis can come during the first stage. So zero to 10 centimeters or during the pushing stage of labor as well. and we're not going to spend a ton of time on how it relates to the second stage, the pushing stage of birth, because, um, we actually covered in a previous episode, the averages and timelines to expect during pushing. And that episode is, should I let my body push on its own? But anyway, we do want to focus on when we see this failure to progress diagnosis or assessment on women in that first stage of birth. And I think it's really important to talk about because we want to equip you to understand how that is assessed. Um, And kind of why it's wrong. (laughs) Yeah, why
0: it's wrong is the big one. Um, And I know that's striking a chord for me because absolutely that's what I was told is failure to progress. And that's why you had a cesarean birth. But it's not very fair because we don't set up moms for success a lot of times. um, And depending on your provider, that it, it can change from person to person, from provider to provider, from birth to birth. And then you have a mom feeling like, oh, my body failed. And that's, you know, that's not how it works.
1: It kind of, the quote that just came to mind, and this is going to be a paraphrase, I apologize, but it was something like, if you judge a fish on its ability to fly, it's going to live its whole (laughs) life thinking it's stupid. Right. If we keep applying these old archaic standards to birthing women today, they're going to live their whole life thinking that their body is broken and then that they're not really good at birth. And that's just completely false. Well, and that's
0: huge. And that's kind of our thing, right? It's to like the whole reason that we do what we do is because we have a little bit of knowledge that tells us our bodies are not broken, that you can have an empowering, confident, educated birth. And when you do that, when you help other women to experience that, it changes everything. You know, you, yeah. you walk into motherhood with your head held high instead of feeling like you you're defeated and everybody else yeah. did everything to get this baby here and it had nothing to do with my mothering and that's just not true. Yeah. So I love this topic. Me this is too. Awesome.
1: And it's an important one too because at least here in the United States, um, cesarean rates are growing so fast. Just in the last ten years alone, it's risen fifty percent and it's now used in about a third of all births in the United States. That's unacceptable. Nobody should be looking at that and going no, yeah, that's fine. That's right. cool. Yeah. You know, that's not okay.
0: Yeah. And there are, I mean, different takes on this, right? But when you talk to providers that do care about the cesarean rate or do care to only use it in, as like a very like last resort emergency situation, then, I mean, that's that's the kind of provider that you want. You want somebody that's going to yes. step back and kind of play that lifeguard approach. Like I will sit here. I'm going to watch you swim because you know how to swim. And even though you might get tired, I'm going to keep encouraging you. And then, when there's a reason to jump into the water, then we jump in. But that's yeah. closer to like five to 7% of births, or what yeah. that should be versus what we're seeing now.
1: Absolutely. Um, first of all, we hope you know that it's actually incredibly rare to have a body that's unable to progress through labor. Perhaps if you've sustained injuries to your pelvis, maybe you fractured it, then perhaps perhaps that's the case for you. But for the overwhelming majority of women, your body is totally capable of progressing through birth. We we wouldn't be here as a mm-hmm. species if it didn't work for the majority of people. Okay, side note. Okay,
0: sorry, I'm going to take us off topic for a moment. <laughs> okay. But you know how um, I think one of the reasons that we're seeing this problem, right, is like when you're talking about generations past, your mother's mother's generation, or maybe now your mother's 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 generation, when we did a lot of things out of the hospital, it wasn't abnormal for family to be nearby. So Mm -hmm. mothers that were birthing had their children in the room, had teenage women in the room, had aunts and uncles or other family that were around in the room. Um, And when you see other women do this successfully, you start to believe in yourself. You start to believe in your body, your capabilities. You see it as another natural form of of how we bring babies into the world. However, the way that we do things today is, okay, bye. We're going to see you in a couple hours or a couple days. And, and mom leaves in labor. The door is closed. Nobody has any idea what happens behind. Yeah. She comes back with a baby and we're expected to just walk into that room comfortably and be able to birth our baby. So I think it's kind of twofold. You've got where, where women are not seeing that or having that example anymore. And then the other side of things where we're not being prepared, they, they kind of go together, right? Like there's, there's not the knowledge and preparation. If you don't have any idea what your body's going to do, what it's capable of, what it's expected to do, or what's happening on the inside. And then you walk into your birth space expecting to just be able to give birth because everybody's done it from the beginning of time, but you're not prepared. You don't know how to relax. You don't know that contractions are going to increase or do this or what to do with a stall. Then you kind of are in that place of, well, shoot, my body doesn't work or I don't know how to work with my body. And so it does. I mean, it sets you up for failure, which is unfortunate.
1: Well, and I think because we're talking to a generation, a new generation of mothers, I hope you guys understand that it's kind of your responsibility to Um, decide how you want to prepare your children for that experience. And you might think that, oh, they're so young, they don't need to know. You can actually start at a really young age, giving them small doses of information, nothing too graphic, nothing too (laughs) technical, that helps paint the picture of birth being a positive experience. Um, Because if you don't educate your child on how wonderful birth can be and how amazing our bodies are built to work this way, then I promise you that they're going to get that education elsewhere, often from the media. And they don't do a great job portraying it they like the scary they like the right. dramatic and well and sometimes th- women
0: do too right? right when we share our birth stories yeah. oh my gosh 36 hours i couldn't breathe you yeah. know, <laughs> and, and then I go,
1: tore this much, and right. it's like the the scarier the <laughs> yeah. better. But that's right. kind of what people feed off of, and that's what right. gets perpetuated. So unless you're setting a different tone and expectation surrounding birth within your home, then that's kind of what your own children may fall prey to. And it doesn't doesn't just apply to your daughters; to your sons as well. Yeah. If they go into fatherhood, um, being an encouraging, supportive person to their spouse, and say, "You can do this. Your body's amazing." I'm going to help you along the way. You can do this. Even if she didn't grow up in that kind of a household, that's got to make a difference. I have to totally. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about what bugs me the most about (laughs) failure to progress and first of all, it's just the name of it. Failure to progress. Right. right. It gives women this errant belief about their bodies. Your body failed to progress. It failed you. Your body sucks. And that's why you didn't have <laughs> the birth you wanted. And I don't even want to begin to imagine the kind of contribution that that sort of thinking that phrase alone has made to women who maybe already struggle with body image issues or maybe this kind of was the catalyst to that. I don't don't even want to think about the damage that phrase alone failure to progress has done for women. But we are here to tell you that your body is not broken. The system is broken. So let's talk about it. So failure to progress often
0: means, and this is how we talk about it, failure to be patient. And we've seen it a lot, unfortunately, in births um, as doulas, where a provider will come in and mom has been doing fine or working hard, like contractions are longer stronger closer together however dilation hasn't moved it's been four hours or six hours and she's still at a four air quotes right and the truth is there's a lot of things that are happening to be able to have a baby and not everybody's um body is going to progress in the same manner just like not every birth is the same or pregnancy or or however you look at that And so when we look at the patient's aspect of it, this is where we go back to telling you why it's so important that you guys have a good provider. Because if you have a provider that's going to say, you know, even though you're handling birth well, even though mom and baby are doing fine, that it's time to have a cesarean because you're not progressing, that's a problem. Yeah. But if you have a provider that's willing to be patient and wait on you and say, let's try these things, or she's doing fine. If she's comfortable with it, let her keep going. Then you put mom in a position to have power over her experience and it changes. Let's talk about, I think what's really important here is where did this come from, right? Yeah, so, what's the origin? Yes. So 1950s Friedman's Curve. <laughs> it's an outdated, obsolete graph that defined the normal length of labor. Okay, air quotes again. The normal normal length yeah. of labor. According to his data, dilation ought to be an Average of one centimeter an hour. And what's crazy is this is still followed today in yeah. hospitals. One centimeter an hour is what they want to see as if everybody's body works like clockwork. It's ridiculous. Um, and it says with four centimeters considered active labor, which we know today and ACOG says that it's now six centimeters. So that's yep. two women's benefit to, to labor more at home, come in a little later. And we even say, if you do plan to have an epidural or some kind of help along the way, waiting later in labor, six centimeters or later actually decreases your risk of having a cesarean birth. Yeah. So that's wonderful.
1: So he gathered all this data and he came up with these um, rules, right? Surrounding birth that if you're not progressing at least this fast, one centimeter an hour, then you're having a slower than average birth, or maybe your body is failing to progress. And you have to think about the time here this was this was quite a while ago now um, several decades ago and maybe women in the 50s maybe they really did dilate faster I don't know no. maybe. I'm just
0: going to call it on that one.
1: <laughs> well, some people have put forth the idea that maybe because women are having babies later than they did in the 50s mm. now versus now, maybe our lifestyle has impacted some of these changes. It doesn't even matter what the reason was or whether or not they were dilating faster in the 50s. The problem is that it's not true today. Right. And following this approach, you know, if a doctor is still using this one centimeter an hour standard and these standards at the Friedman's Curve Put forth, then we're going to see a whole lot of women who are failing to progress. And in that situation, it might start off with, well, we're going to, you know, your body's just not dilating as fast as we'd like to see. We're going to give you some Pitocin, (laughs) help things speed along. This is, you know, fine for you. Um, But then they keep you in bed. And they keep you on your back and they keep you hooked up to all these monitors. And Pitocin gets kind of intense. And so you're likely to get an epidural, which can over relax the uterus, resulting in more Pitocin. And when you think about it, if we're looking to help a labor to speed up and progress, all of those things seem kind of counterintuitive, like counterproductive. Like you're almost working against the problem that you're trying to solve.
0: Yeah. I think it's, um, the business of being born that has a great illustration in there. And so I'll link to it. I think it might even be for free on YouTube still now, but they have, um, I'll I'll put whatever minutes it is in, but they do they, they do they go through that and like your body's not progressing, so let's add pitocin, which stresses the mom, which stretches the baby, which and then it's like just this like clockwork of chaos, and then you have a mother who's told your body doesn't work, failed failure to progress, and let's have a cesarean birth. So, it's super sad it's yeah. sad to watch so um but luckily there is newer data Yay. so 2014 okay new times more evidence-based practices no twilight sleep don't even ask about what that is it <laughs> i'm is almost so afraid sad. to tell
1: you guys to google it it's yeah pretty disturbing
0: so moms aren't strapped down anymore thank goodness no heavy sedation no forceps unless you know there's massive emergency so all of that is progress in the right direction uh we know that labor takes longer than what Friedman said and assuming that you're going into labor on your own um it's definitely not going to progress necessarily like it like they're saying that it should yeah and one study demonstrated that if we applied his standards to a group of women today nearly half of them would have been deemed too slow or failure to progress that's crazy 50 percent
1: of women by today's standards if we applied his friedman's curve would be failure to progress crazy that's nuts yeah So after new and better evaluations, we've got ACOG, we've got the Society for Maternal Fetal Medicine, and they have both said, you guys, this should be the standard across the board. They have both said that six centimeters, and you said this, is active labor, and that after and only after that point, average dilation is about 1.2 centimeters per hour, meaning some women are going to go faster than that, and other women are going to go slower. But this is, again, only after. After you've reached six centimeters dilation. And I love that they're asking people to no longer call it failure to progress. I think they understand um, how damaging those words can be. And so they've come up with a slightly nicer phrase called labor arrest. I
0: saw that and I was like, I'm going to make her say that.
1: (laughs) Labor arrest. There's a couple
0: of ways this could go. I know.
1: I think it is nicer than failure to progress. But what they're saying is that that diagnosis, labor arrest, should really only be the diagnosis when you're in active labor, so six centimeters or further, and you haven't had any dilation for at least six hours. And I think that's pretty generous, actually. Okay. You disagree? No, I, I
0: think it just depends on the mom, you know? That's like true. Back to my, like, if mom's doing fine, if baby's doing fine, and, like, they're handling things well, like, who cares? You've been at it for six hours. Yeah. You know? It doesn't mean
1: you need to take action. Right. They're just saying that you, that's the new standard. And yeah. that is... That might not be as generous as we want it to be sure. yet, but it's by far more generous than what Friedman's Curve was right. telling us yeah. to do.
0: No, that's great. Yeah, and i it's just like anything else, like just being aware that it takes a while for the medical community to get caught up and to actually – implement those changes and so we actually see with newer medical students that come out or newer providers that we see in the field they're the first ones to adopt these things a lot of times depending
1: yeah. on who they're training with too. That's but, true. Yes. But yeah, if you've got people who went to medical school in the 80s, yes. they're going to they could if they're not staying up to date on new education and new evidence-based birthing practices, they might still be operating under an assumption that could be harmful for your birth experience. Right. Um, so here's the issue today.
0: 40% of all women who had a cesarean due to failure to progress hadn't even made it to 5 centimeters. 50%. 40%. This percent. makes me Sorry. so angry. Okay, They weren't even in active labor, and they're already being told, you're done. Your body didn't yeah. do it. Yeah. They didn't
1: even make it to the point where we would start to see that. So, And this would also imply that for those women that their providers were probably using these old outdated standards for their birth. Right. I just... of women with the cesarean hadn't even made it to five centimeters. That's not right. Now, a part of me is going, well, what percentage of those were inductions? And kind of once you start an induction, there's sort of no turning back. So I don't know. I didn't find research to see. Um, but basically, studies have found that getting to five centimeters can take some women a really long time days even yeah if you 're having prodromal labor, it can take you days to get to five centimeters and it 's not at all uncommon for women to have long periods of dilation between this zero to five centimeters during like during this early labor period and this isn 't an issue like you said, as long as mom and baby are healthy but impatience gets the best of us and best of providers. And so that's where we see them try to help things out. But like we talked about, this can kind of create more problems.
0: I thought, and you said interestingly here, but it is interesting. It says only about 4% of home births result in a failure to progress transfer to the hospital. And I love that. I love that. Okay. If you want to call it arrest or failure to progress or whatever, like But I do think that's interesting when you're in a setting where you've got support, where somebody is trusting your body and its capabilities versus being somewhere where they feel like, they're more in charge of the situation or yeah. that they have to manage it a bit more and how it changes. Like all of a sudden it's not that women that birth out of hospital, their bodies are any different. They don't, they're not like, Oh, well right. my body's made for for this differently than yours. So I'm going to go birth <laughs> out of hospital. My uterus is liquid gold. So good. <laughs> but, um, But it's interesting that when a woman makes that decision and surrounds herself with the right support and has that support, that now we see those numbers drop dramatically. It's the same with cesarean rates.
1: Yeah. And they did say that this was like one of the number one reasons for transfer to hospital for home birth. But even then, only 4%. Right. So it kind of makes you go, what's going on? Right. What's going on in the big house? right?" Right.
0: Exactly. Yep.
1: Um, But here's what you guys need to know. Having stalls or periods of arrest, whatever you want to call them in labor is so totally normal. It's so much normal that we can actually anticipate where those stalls might occur. And a lot of times they have to do with baby's positioning. There's ways to resolve them. So sometimes we see a stall in early labor between two and three centimeters. No big deal. Totally fine. As long as baby's doing fine and you're doing okay. you're not even technically in active labor yet. It's okay, And that two to three centimeter stall is often baby needing some help getting into the the opening, the inlet of the pelvis. Hmm. And then we can sometimes see a stall around six to seven centimeters and then occasionally one near nine centimeters they're anticipated. So they're not abnormal. And so if that happens to you during birth, you need to be patient as well. You also need some strategies to know how to resolve those stalls because there are strategies to help you do that. Um, There's great resources out there. Um, Spinning babies is a great resource. Our birth course is a really great resource to teach you how to do that.
0: And I think the neat part about that is there's so much going on inside that we don't get to see when we're actually in labor. Um, but they're like your baby is working so much with you. And so yeah. those stalls, a lot of times what we have you do are things to help position so that baby can be in the right position to work their way down into the canal and, and be born. And so I, I mean, we, there's only so much that we can measure. And so even yeah. when a provider is like, oh, there are only so many centimeters that like, hold on, like your breasts are trying to make milk and like your baby's turning around in circles and there's so
1: much going on that you can't hormones see. it's coursing through your body. Yeah. Maybe certain muscle groups need a break for you. Maybe baby needs a little break. Right. Your body is smart and there's so much going on besides dilation. Right.
0: Yeah. So it, that's, I mean, that's another soapbox for another day, right? Yeah, (laughs) But on dilation, okay, let's talk about what inhibits dilation and what encourages dilation. And we go over this, I feel like a lot.
1: Yeah, we had an episode like what makes for a faster or slower birth. And so if you're looking for more detailed information on this, that would be a great episode to check out. So we're just going to kind of list these and you guys can go listen elsewhere if you need more.
0: But as far as dilation, like one of the top things that we tell women, and you have to be prepared to do this, right? Like if you're like, oh, I'm just going to get the epidural and I'll go at the first sign of, well, just plan that it's going to be a little more, more managed. But if you can be prepared with relaxation and you've done some labor rehearsals, laboring at home as long as you can is going to allow your body the time that it needs to dilate in the way that it's supposed to before you head into the hospital, which we recommend is an active labor so that you have less chance for intervention in cesarean birth.
1: So other things that can inhibit dilation or make a labor seem like it's taking a little bit longer are were you were you on your back? for a lot of the labor. Um, were you feeling unsafe or uncomfortable in your birthing environment? Maybe you're feeling rushed. Maybe you're feeling pressured. Those are certainly contributing factors.
0: If you're mindful of getting baby into an optimal position prior to the onset of birth, in other words, while you're still pregnant, there are things that you should be doing. Um, we'll just direct you again to the three free exercise guide and I'll put it in the show notes. Um, but these there's things that you can be doing, even how you're sitting um, yeah. or what kind of positions you're using before you go into labor. That has an effect on what position your baby will be in when it's go time.
1: Right. When we're talking about um, sometimes some stalls or arrests that we see during pushing phase, if that's taking a little bit longer than normal, is your PC muscle, your pubococcygeal muscle that controls all three little openings you've got down there. (laughs) Is that strong? Because if it's not, then it encourages baby to not have their chin tucked down. And when that's the case, then the largest part of their head's presenting instead of the smallest that can make pushing take longer.
0: Well, and it's tricky too, because you want a strong muscle, but you want to know how to relax it as well. Because if you have a strong muscle and you're trying to use it the whole time, then it's going to be a little tricky. (laughs) Yeah.
1: It's got to be springy like a trampoline. I remember.
0: Yes. I remember. Good analogy.
1: Are you having trouble relaxing on your own? That's kind of back to environment, but are you Do you have the coping techniques and the mechanisms to help you relax through those contractions? If you're having trouble relaxing, you're probably having you might be having some trouble dilating as well. Are you allowed freedom of movement? Do you have access to water for laboring? Do you have access to food and water to keep your body firing on all cylinders here? All these things contribute to how your body dilates. All right, so let's get this back on track here. Failure to progress, what can we do about it? Um, Here's something that's crazy to me. The biggest increase in cesarean birth rates are among women under 25 who were having a totally low-risk, normal, baby-in-a-head-down position kind of birth. That's not the group or demographic that we should be seeing such a huge increase in cesareans with. And so what we kind of want to finish with is how do we change this? And luckily, there's been some interesting comparisons and some hospitals trying some different things that can kind of clue us in into how we change this. I think obviously, number one, we need more providers to adopt new standards. That six centimeters is active labor and anything before that can take however long it needs to as long as mom and baby are healthy, but there's some other things too. So let's talk about that. And basically what they found is that in 2012, so let's look at the data and that's the most recent data that we can pull from these hospitals. You've got Los Angeles Community Hospital, they did C-sections at 62%. And this was in the lowest risk category of mothers. It was first-time moms who have never had a C-section, obviously. Single baby, head down, full term, right? And if we look at that same group of women, all those same criteria, San Francisco General Hospital had a 10% cesarean rate. So 62% versus 10% same group of women, what the heck is happening here, right? And that, that's with equal outcomes for babies and actually better outcomes, obviously, for the moms. And San Francisco
0: had the back rates that also beat the rest of the state by a notable amount. So I think overall, it seems like they were doing a much better job.
1: Yeah, if you're in the San Francisco area, it sounds like San Francisco Send, General Hospital yes. is a <laughs> good place there. to go.
0: Okay. Um, and what gets me about this next part is we've kind of gone into this before, and I think we get a little flack, especially when we're talking to other medical professionals, right? But here's some things that they do that make it good, right? And yeah. so that's things like not accepting money from formula companies, which if we say that out loud, right? Like, but but interesting that they noticed it and they created a space to not be able to do that. Um, they're not fancy. The nurse midwives are heavily involved. So um, you had a quote here. Do you want to read it?
1: I loved this quote. It was from one of the OBs at San Francisco general. They said that midwives are trained in the art of doing nothing. Well, yeah, I I like that was that. so funny. <laughs> and they said that patients got that message from the beginning that we're going to intervene when needed. But if you don't need us to, we're not going to intervene. I love that kind yeah. of mindset. That's a different shift in
0: mindset. Yeah. And you even put
1: here, sh- you have a note,
0: um, looking through the lens of a midwife versus an OB. And it is different because we talk about this, that obstetricians are trained surgeons and they're very good at what they do and they know what to look for. However, if you're always looking for those things that are going to create more problems or you're going to have to stop the problem, like you see it coming in advance, maybe you're catching things that that don't necessarily need to be caught versus a midwife who looks at things very normal and natural and this birth is going to be wonderful and your body is capable and they see normal all the time, it really does make a difference for how they practice medicine.
1: I love that they have them so involved in the training of this um, obstetric program at that hospital. Yeah. Here is where I think that the biggest difference factors in and where a lot of hospitals can take note, a lot of OB practices can take note. And when we are going to get flack. (laughs) The doctor's are salaried and shifted, meaning yeah. that they they just, whatever they make, hey, you're gonna make, um, I don't know, they make 200,000 a year, right? right? I'm just guessing, but that's it. It doesn't matter if you're doing cesarean births or vaginal births, um, that's just what you're gonna make. So it takes away that monetary incentive that sometimes um, insurance companies give because doctors actually get paid about 60% more for performing a cesarean birth than they do a vaginal birth. It removes that financial right. incentive. yeah, and, and that's then, a problem. That and that's something we've huge. been saying for a long time. but yeah. Yes. Yeah. Right and now. in fact, um, some of the state Medicaid programs have kind of wisened up to this. They pay the same now, f- whether you're having mm. a cesarean birth or a vaginal birth. Again, we're removing the incentive yeah. to perform a cesarean birth. I love that. Why don't you tell us why having shifted doctors is also a huge part of the reduction in cesarean rates?
0: So the downside to this is because they are on shifts, you don't necessarily know who you're going to get. And we hear this a lot with women is I don't like to go to this practice or meet with these these midwives or OBs because I don't know who's going to be on my team and I don't love everybody. Right. So there is kind of that part of it. However, you know that that doctor is meant to be at the hospital for that amount of time, no matter what. So there's no I have to run back to the office after this and see somebody or um, I don't know, like it's the weekend and <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right, like I don't want to interrupt. A- family plans this
1: girl I think is going to labor for a long time I don't want to be tied up here let's come up with a reason to get her into a cesarean. Yeah.
0: And I would say like even us as doulas, when we do this, if you don't set yourself up for success as a doula, you will get burnt out really fast. Mm-hmm. And one of the ways that we do this is to not only have a backup in case of emergency, but you have somebody that can come in if you've been with somebody for more than 12 hours so that you can get rest and so that they get a refreshed pair of eyes that come in and hands <laughs> right? yeah. and attitude so that you can kind of pull back and say you deserve to have the energy and efficiency of somebody who has rested and prepared. And so I think that's a way to, um, for doctors too, I think a lot of what they do is heavy, especially for OBs, right? Heavy amounts of time, heavy hours, heavy time away from your family. And if it could be more set like that, you could schedule a life around it. Maybe they'd be a little you know, less, less like jumpy at things. Like let's exactly. get them out before Friday. I got something going on this weekend or whatever. No, seriously,
1: or a holiday is coming up because you know, you're going to be there anyway. If a doctor shift is from 10 PM to 10 AM, they're not worried about trying to get home to get, you know, what little sleep they can't. Right. They're there no matter what. Right. And I think that then allows them to be patient, right. to be more patient. Yeah.
0: Or coming off of a birth that you've been at for a long time and then getting home and getting to sleep and like, oh, there's the call. I got to head back in. And I mean, who would want that doctor anyways, right? Yeah. Like,
1: <laughs> That's got to be nice for them. They can yeah. plan their life around their schedule just like you would any work schedule. Yeah. So anyway, they obviously did a lot right that their cesarean rate was 10% in a different hospital, same group of women, 62%. Right. I think that a whole lot of people need to take notice of what they're doing and consider doing the same. You guys, there's a, there's a neat study that was done over in Italy that we kind of want to end with here. You know, we've talked about failure to progress, why that's an old outdated standard using Friedman's curve and all this kind of stuff and how we have newer information now. And they decided to put them head to head. And I love that they did this. So basically um, they took about 400 women, which isn't a huge sample size, but it's enough to pull some data. And they had half of the women follow, have their providers follow the Friedman's curve. And the other half were given a new model of care that certainly allowed for active, you know, labor being at six centimeters. They also gave them things like um, freedom to eat and drink And I think to move around as well. And so these were all women who had spontaneous, meaning they went into labor on their own um, vaginal deliveries uh, or women who start off with baby in a head first position. Right. And here's what they found. And it's so crazy. Women who received that old standard of care following Friedman's curve had a cesarean rate of over 22 percent. And the other group that followed these newer evidence based standards of care had 10.3 percent cesarean rate
0: not interesting it followed san Francisco's. yeah that's really interesting
1: yeah which kind of makes me wonder should 10 percent be the new um expectation for cesarean right. rates in hospitals and among physicians i think it should
0: okay i have a problem with studies like this though because I guarantee these women didn't know what they were signing up for. You know what I mean? This is what is so frustrating to me because like and why it's so important. I don't know your provider and everything and to have the conversations before because what if what if one of these women that got set with a provider who was doing Friedman's Curve asked them about things like induction or am I going to be able to move around or what do you consider active labor and they responded going off of well this is you know they wouldn't say well we're using the Friedman's Curve you know (laughs) but they would say whatever matched up with the fact that they were doing that, I mean, that stinks because you look at those women that like, like,
1: I wanted to be part of the other right, group. Yeah, but right. they didn't
0: get to pick. So anyways, this is knowledge, education, preparation. It's huge. Yeah. So I think what we want to get at here is that impatience and old standards can actually harm your birth. Um, typical in-hospital provider settings might actually be a harm to your birth as well. Again, like super important to pick a good provider. Um, And then if you're not six centimeters dilated, that's not active labor. So don't let anybody nay say on your labor, like it's okay to be a little more patient in that situation and understand that your body is incredible you're made for this work we're born with uteruses like we're literally made to be able to birth babies so trust the process trust yourself trust your intuition have a good provider have the knowledge and preparation and then do your thing
1: all right mamas we will be back with more tips and advice soon In the meantime, be sure to subscribe so that you get notifications first about new episodes. And
0: don't forget to head over to myessentialbirth.com for more information on the birth course and to join our online community
1: serving pregnant mamas just like you.